New data out this morning show that inflation is slowing a bit, but it's still a problem. Meanwhile, another report shows that nearly half of baby boomers have no money saved for retirement. And more than a third of working Americans say they don't feel confident that they'll have enough money to live comfortably during their retirement years. So what can we do to get our financial houses in order? And specifically, how do we save for retirement at any age? Joining us now, Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning with the firm Morningstar. She is also the author of 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances. Welcome back, Christine. Good to see you. Sasha, it's great to see you too. And we are also taking your questions about saving. What is on your mind? Call us now at 866 866- 915-WBEZ. Again, the number is 866-915-WBEZ. So on Friday, Christine, the, the jobs report, it showed stronger than expected gains. This morning, though, we learned inflation continues to cause problems, essentially. So how would you characterize this economic environment dare I say, that we're living in right now? Well, it's uncertain. We're sort of at a on a knife's edge where People are concerned about the potential for a recession if if the Federal Reserve has pushed interest rates up too high and that slows people from borrowing money, especially to buy homes, that could slow down the whole economy. Yeah. On the other hand, we do continue to have higher than usual inflation and in our household budgets that creates a problem and that is causing some consumers to pull back on spending. So we're kind of in a wait and see mode where it's not super clear about the near term economic outlook. Oh boy, uncertainty, <laughs> that word. Man, is, is this a good time though to save given what's going on with interest rates, for instance? Well, absolutely. And there's a silver lining. I mentioned that the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates. So the good news is that as a saver, you can go out and find very attractive interest rates on your savings. So even if you want to keep your money super safe, and that's advisable if you have expenditures within the next couple of years, you'll still be able to pick up a much better interest rate, like 4%, 4.5% versus where we were a couple of years ago, even a year and a half ago, where you were not even in positive territory. But you do have to bear in mind inflation, that inflation gobbles up the purchasing power of the money that that you sock away. So it's a balancing act. For sure. And so as we we talk about this uh, recent interest rate hike uh, from the Fed, Fed Chair Jerome Powell also seemed to suggest no more hikes in the near future. Can you just remind us how the Fed raising rates affects things like our credit card rates and our mortgage rates and our savings accounts. Right. So higher interest rates, great for you if you're a saver because you're able to pick up a higher safe interest rate. Bad for you if you're a borrower. And that means people getting new home loans. That means people who have credit card debt that typically floats along with uh, the prevailing interest rate environment. So mm. if you're a borrower, these higher higher rates are bad news, and they should really accelerate your interest in wanting to pay down that debt. It makes it more attractive if you have that, especially floating rate credit card debt. Get it out of the way because you're you're very unlikely to beat that interest rate that you're paying with any sort of savings that you're able to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I mean, do you recommend folks start with the, the things with the higher rate first? Well, ideally, yes. There are different schools of thought about this. Yeah. Some people say you I've heard should... start with the lower balance first, yeah. whatever you can manage, and then work your way up to the highest. But I would operate in the terms of 
the rates. Right. Whatever clicks with people, I would say, is the way that they should go. But ideally, you would look at the debt that you have that has the highest rate attached to, to it, prioritize that, potentially even try to get into some sort of a credit card that offers a lower rate, maybe a teaser rate, and then uh, mm. really push on the debt pay down at that point. Remember, if you've got questions for Christine, she's here with lots of advice. The number is 866-915-WBEZ. Do you have a question about saving for retirement, perhaps, or saving for something else? Christine's here to help at 866-915-WBEZ. So, Christine, if someone's looking to get money from a checking account into a high-yield savings account. What's your advice there? Where where should they look? Well, shop around. There's a website called bankrate.com that uh, gives you an overview of the different types of high-yield savings accounts that are available. So you can look at savings accounts where you sort of have that full access to your funds on an ongoing basis, or you can look at CDs, Certificate of Deposit Rates, where if you're willing to lock up your money for a period of time, a couple of months, all the way to five years, you are able to earn a higher yield. So I think Mm. Bankrate is a nice resource. Just bear in mind that certain providers of savings accounts do pay for placement on Bankrate sites. So um, just just bear that in mind as, as you look over the yields that are available. But go there. One really attractive feature of high yield savings accounts is that they typically don't have bricks and mortar banks, so you, they don't have bank branches. Right, that makes them cheaper it, to operate, right. and that tends to redound to and the so benefit. Everything's of, online, exactly. And if you're okay with that, the good news is is that you can pick up typically a higher yield than you can if you walk down to your local bank branch and just say, "What do you have for me?" Oh, that's a good tip. Uh, so, some folks, speaking of banks. There are folks that are a little leery of them right now, right? This is after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and other recent bank takeovers that we've uh, we've heard in the news. So, so does your average saver need to worry about their savings in a big bank like Chase or a small regional bank? Well, I wouldn't break it down so much as, as small versus large, although you're totally right that that's top of mind for okay. consumers today. But just bear in mind the FDIC limits on savings. And so for most of us savers, we're not even close to the FDIC limits. It's $250,000 per depositor per institution. Okay. So if you're under that, if your savings are under that, they are backed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp., which means that they're effectively guaranteed. If something happens to that financial institution, you will be made whole by FDIC. And one thing we saw during the great financial crisis in the uh, sort of 2008-2009 period, the FDIC came through with flying colors. Mm -hmm. It was one of the government institutions that appeared to be most sound during that period. So that's good news for consumers. They have that backstop in place. So if you like working with your local bank, which might be- Big or small. Yeah. don't, Don't get hung up on that as long as you're under that FDIC threshold. Is it ever too late for someone to start saving? Absolutely not. I I figured you would say that. (laughs) And, you know, one thing I often think about is many times people are really busy multitasking, raising kids in their 30s, 40s. They are putting down roots, buying homes, putting their kids through school, putting their kids through college. Those are really hard years to save. Mm -hmm. When you come through that period and you kind of move into the empty nest phase, 
Those are phenomenal years, assuming you're still working to really turbocharge your retirement savings. So if you, even if you feel hopelessly behind mm. on your retirement, you can uh, put a lot of money to work and still earn some nice compounding before you eventually retire. I'm inspired by that. <laughs> I, I'm The empty nest years yes. are, are, are fast approaching for good, me. Good, so, good. so thanks for that tip. Uh, let's jump to the phones, Christine. We've got Joe from Arlington Heights waiting to join the conversation. Hey, Joe, welcome to Reset. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Much appreciated. Sure. So I I have a very nuanced question, I think. Uh, So I have some money saved up, and I recently bought a home uh, at a pretty higher interest rate, but I also have some student debt. Now, the student debt I have is at a pretty low interest rate. I want to say less than 3%. However, it does require a lot more of my monthly income as opposed to my mortgage, which is a higher rate, but a lower uh, lower uh, amount of my monthly income. Now, with this excessive cash, would you say it would be better for me to uh, pay off as much of my home or try to pay off more of my student loans so that later down in the line I have a little bit more wriggle room month to month? Good, good question. Good, good question. Yeah. yeah, I would let the rates that you're paying on the various debts that you have light the way. So your higher interest rate debt should be your your first priority, in my opinion, and you, sh- you should feel a little bit more comfortable letting the lower interest rate debt ride or, you know, perhaps just servicing it along with whatever agreement you have with the lender. But prioritize the high interest rate debt. And I would say by the same token, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about investing, you can add that into the mix too. So we know that stocks over like 10-year or longer time horizons typically have returned in the neighborhood of 6 to 8% or so. So if you have a longer time horizon, you um, may be better off putting the money to work in, in the market. Thanks for calling, Joe. So we just talked about uh, the fact that it's not too late, never too late to, to start saving. So let's let's talk about people at different ages and sort of how they should uh, approach saving for retirement, right? So let's think of people in their late 50s and 60s. What are the first steps that you would advise them to, to take if they are trying to determine whether they can retire and, and also how much money they'll have to live on if they do? Right. So if you're at this life stage where you're getting close to retirement, it's a great time to either work with a financial planner or use a good holistic retirement calculator. So one I often recommend is the T. Rowe Price Retirement Income Calculator. It's a free calculator, but it's pretty comprehensive in that it takes into account your Social Security income, mm. your your uh, how much you've saved, and how much you can expect to take out of it. So I would run the numbers using a good retirement calculator that is making reasonable assumptions about the returns you might earn from your investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. One kind of good rule of thumb that people can think about when deciding whether they have enough to retire is look at your investment portfolio, your investment assets, take 4% of that and look at whether that amount combined with whatever you expect 
to get from Social Security or from a pension is enough for you to live on. So the 4% guideline, it's not perfect, but it's a decent starting point for thinking about the viability Mm -hmm. of your investments over, uh, say, a 30-year time horizon. Let's keep working our way down. What about someone in their 40s? Well, here I think they want to be thinking about saving within the confines of a company retirement plan. So if the company is supplying a 401k or 403b, 457 plan, whatever it might be, use that because it has a really nice feature in that those contributions can come right out of your paycheck automatically Mm -hmm. without you lifting a finger. So set up a default contribution, something that you can easily swing into your company retirement plan. If you don't have a company retirement plan, you should definitely be looking at an individual retirement account, an IRA. Oftentimes, a Roth IRA is a really good account to look at. And the key reason is that even though you're not able to earn any sort of tax break on the money going into the account, Mm -hmm. the money coming out, assuming that you mind your P's and Q's about the withdrawals and the rules regarding withdrawals, the money coming out will be all tax-free. I see. So um, look at the company retirement plan. Look at a Roth IRA. And then if you still have additional funds to invest, you may look at some sort of taxable brokerage account where you're not going to be able to earn any tax breaks on it, but you will be able to put in however much you want. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to invest in anything you want. And then when the funds come out, the investment appreciation will be taxed at your capital gains rate, which is better than your ordinary income tax rate. Same advice for millennials or Gen Z? Pretty much. I would reiterate the importance of- First of all, I would commend Gen (laughs) Z for thinking about retirement right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good on you. Definitely. Take advantage of the defaults uh, if you possibly can. Another vehicle that we haven't mentioned is a health savings account, which uh, many people are being offered if their if their company offers what's called a high deductible health care plan. You'll mm-hmm. often be given the option to contribute to the HSA, the health savings account, alongside the high deductible health care plan. That can be a great fund for retirement savings. So the idea is if you're in the enviable position of being able to fund your health care outlays using non-health savings account funds, if you let the HSA funds grow, they can grow and build and be tax-free in retirement. So Mm -hmm. it's a nice vehicle to add on, especially for people who do not need to touch the funds in their HSA. One of uh, our main retirement savings questions has to do with planning for medical costs. Mm -hmm. What if you need to hire in-home help or uh, if you need to move to assisted living or or something like that? What should you be be keeping in mind? Well, you should definitely be thinking about it and uh, don't wait too long. So a lot of times people start thinking about this, you know, reasonably when they're like in their 50s, 60s. Oftentimes it's too late to go out and buy long-term care insurance. You may have some sort of disqualifying health care condition. So ideally start thinking about this in your early 50s or even sooner Mm -hmm. if you can. Unfortunately, the array of options for paying for long-term care are not great. So we've seen long-term care insurers raise premiums on people who thought they were doing all the right things by purchasing these these policies. They've had to contend with really high premium increases. But long-term care insurance is still an option for some people. Self-funding long-term care expenses might be an option for people who have a lot of 
assets. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, if if you're looking at your investment portfolio and it's looks like it can supply you with your retirement income with no problem whatsoever, you're probably a good candidate for just using your own funds. Mm. And then a big share of our population will rely on Medicaid, will rely on government-provided resources to provide long-term care. There's no shame in that. In fact, Medicaid is the largest payer of long-term care expenses in the U.S. today. The downside to using Medicaid is that they are strict about where you can receive that care. So so the facility that you may really like and want to be in or, or maybe you want to receive care in home, that just may not be an option mm. under Medicaid. You're, you're limited. Um, and you're also limited in terms of the amounts, amount of assets that you can have to qualify for Medicaid. And that can create problems if you have a well spouse who needs living expenses, there are strict limits around how much the household can have in assets Ah. for one partner to qualify for Medicaid-provided care. Some good things to think about there. Let's hit the pause button for just a moment. We're going to keep taking your calls on how to get your financial house in order and how to save for retirement. Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We are talking about money, specifically how to save enough of it so that you can retire one day. Now, I know some of you out there have already retired. Now, if that is you and you have advice for other younger listeners and for me even, we want to hear from you too. Did you figure out a financial plan that maybe set you up for success after your working life? Call us at 866-915-WBEZ and share. And for the rest of you who might want some advice and you'd like to ask our expert a question, same number for you, 866-915-WBEZ. That expert, Christine Benz from Morningstar. She's also the author of several books, including a great practical guide for financial planning. It's called 30-Minute Money Solutions. So let's jump right back in, uh, Christine. When it comes to Social Security, first explain how the system works for us. So we are all paying into Social Security if we're earning a paycheck. That amount that goes into the Social Security fund is coming right out of your check. And so you're paying into into it on an ongoing basis. And we're paying a little bit into the into the future for our own uh, retirements. Yeah. Uh, The program appears to need reform. Yes. You know, so that it can actually remain solvent in the long run. Any concerns on your part by, you know, that Social Security just may not be around at some point in our future? Well, I hear this a lot, especially among younger people. In fact, I talk to younger people sometimes who say, I'm not expecting anything. And I think that's a mistake, actually, because think about how important Social Security is to our retirees to mm-hmm. our to our world it's essential so it seems really unlikely that congress will let social security go by the wayside that people's benefits would dwindle to nothing nonetheless congress does need to make some decisions because the main social security trust fund is start is is set to be depleted in about 10 years mm. so there are a variety of options on the table one fix would be to lift the cap on the amount of income that's subject to Social Security tax. Right now, there is a cap, um, and it it sort of means that very high earners aren't contributing the full percentage of their incomes okay. into the program. 
lifting that cap would fix it right there. But that uh, is a politically difficult one where we have high income earners who are very powerful in Mm -hmm. Washington, for example. They don't love that idea. Another idea would be potentially to lift the age at which you could claim Social Security. People who work in jobs that are physically difficult, though, may need to retire earlier. And, And so, you know, the question is, how fair would that be to people who are doing jobs that require physical exertion? But that's one potential fix. One idea would be, you know, that we could potentially tweak the age for people who are, say, um, age 10 today, that the age when they could claim Social Security might be pushed further out into the future to account for longevity. So there are a variety of fixes. Another one that you sometimes hear talked about is means testing, that your benefits, if you're a high-income earner, would be haircut accordingly. Mm. And I think ultimately it probably will be a series of incremental adjustments rather than one huge adjustment that really dramatically affects one segment of the population. Well, let's hear from a caller who's got a, a social security okay. question. Uh, here's John in Lincoln Park. Hey, John. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question? So my question is, I, uh, in fact, this is kind of a red letter day for me. I got my very first uh, social security check today. Okay. And uh, I live pretty modestly and, uh, and would love to a suggestion or two on, you know, kind of setting this, uh, this particular check aside, the money aside, and finding a way to uh, save it, invest it uh, in, in, you know, fairly liquid, uh, safe uh, means and and, uh, and and see how far I can go without uh, having to tap that Social Security payment. Thanks for the question, John. I have a follow-up question, John. What's your ultimate use for the funds? Is it to leave for your heirs or, or what's your plan for the money? You know, uh, I think at some point uh, I'm probably going to need it to live on. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I would love to uh, to leave something for my children, but uh, you know that that's not my main priority, frankly. Okay, so um, one thing to know is that if you are not earning an income any longer from a paycheck, you can't invest in an IRA. For example, you need earned income to to use that sort of wrapper. So it seems like you would want to be invested in some sort of a taxable account, um, assuming that you don't have earned income. And there I would think about my anticipated time horizon for the money. So I'm a fan of what's called bucketing for retirement portfolio planning, where you're kind of thinking about your time horizon and using that to light the way about what to invest in. So if you have expenditures that you expect to use this account for within the next couple of years, well, I just keep the money super liquid. I would stick with FDIC insured products. I'd keep it in cash investments. And then for money that I might use in the next, say, three to 10 years, there I think you can step out on the risk spectrum a little bit. You don't need to cling to FDIC insured investments. You could invest in 
high-quality bonds, um, short and intermediate-term high-quality bonds, and then for money that you might spend in years 10 and beyond, so like 10 years from now, 2033 and beyond, there I think you can safely invest in stocks. I'm a big fan of what are called index funds, which have very, very low expenses attached to them. I would focus on a globally diversified, broadly uh, diversified index fund portfolio. Thanks, Christine. Here's Mike in Winnetka. Hey, Mike. Welcome to Reset. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. What's your question? Yeah, I, I, I did. Have my, well, actually, the comment you'd mentioned, um, you know, if anyone had some advice. So oh, yes. I'm 57. Yes. And I have um, all through my working career, I have invested in real estate. Uh, not anything crazy. Two flats, three flats. Now I, it is, it's kind of grown. It's a nice little portfolio. But I am now able to live off the income from the real estate, and I can let my sort of stock portfolio chug along. So I guess I'm calling to offer advice if you guys think it, 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 it's, uh, you know, it merits. I think for a young person, as I did, your first home, if you can do it, buy a two-flat. Buy a little – and they're all over Chicago in these neighborhoods. They're, they're, it's quite robust right now. Rent the upstairs unit. Have them pay the mortgage and slowly start to build equity that way. And then to your point about the index fund – agree a thousand percent especially young people just a simple index fund mm. right and then now i'm i'm able now to live off of my at 57 off of the rent is just about taking care of my um my income and one final point is that when you are working and you have income property the depreciation that you can get from your taxes it's unbelievable it is a brilliant tax shelter wow That is such great advice, Mike. Christine, you were nodding the entire time. Thank you for calling, Mike. You agree? I do, although with an asterisk. Okay. Not everyone is uh, cut out to be a landlord. And so I think that you need to take a look yourself. Think about your wherewithal to be called in to do some plumbing work at 2 a.m. Do some soul searching on that front. And then the other point I would make is go in with a cushion. So don't just sink everything that you have into the property where you have no margin for error because inevitably you'll need to, to make some repairs on that place. And that's true whether you're buying rental properties or whether you're buying a first home. Just yeah. You know, don't just barely eke into that home down payment. Make sure that you have a little bit extra before you you go that route. We'll leave it there. Great advice from Christine Benz of Morningstar. Always a pleasure, Christine. On behalf of the listeners and, and me, thank you so much for joining us. Sasha, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.